Christmas from all of us at Hoosier Ag today, and welcome to our weekend show, Hoosier Ag This Week. We're here to run down the top news and information from this past week in Indiana and U.S. agriculture, but it's a special program today, as I do all of that internationally. From Panama City, Panama, I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer. We've been talking for two years now about the water levels on the Mississippi River and how that's negatively impacting shipping times for grain, but similar issues and maybe more dire issues are holding up grain barges here in Central America at the Panama Canal. We'll discuss that more in just a few moments. In addition to my coverage from here, I'll throw it back to the States to get grain market analysis with C.J. Miller. We'll have meteorologist Ryan Martin's latest Indiana Farm forecast. And Andy Eubank has news from last weekend's Indiana Farm Bureau annual convention, including an interview with their new second vice president. We'll also hear from Sabrina Halverson and Elise Koning on today's show about ongoing issues with the H-2A program and child care in rural areas of Indiana. Let's begin with the weather, but the weather here in Central America. Farmer directors of the Indiana Soybean Alliance and Indiana Corn Marketing Council invited me along to visit the Panama Canal with them to see firsthand the issues they're experiencing here with drought. Our tour guide, Ricardo, told us that Panama typically receives around 130 inches of rain each year. This year, due to El Nino, they've only received about half of that. Mike Steenhook joins me now in Panama. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, the lack of rain is making things very difficult down here. Yeah, you know, we obviously know that drought can impact the ability to grow crops. It also has the impact on the ability to transport crops. Mississippi River is obviously a great example of that. But then also, a lot of those exports, once they're loaded down in the southern Louisiana, it'll head south and make a westerly turn through the Panama Canal. And this is one of uh, a key link in our supply chain. And what people often don't understand is that fresh water is the gasoline for the Panama Canal engine. If you don't have an abundance of fresh water, it doesn't allow the locks to operate because that's what allows that elevation from that stair step, if you will, from the low elevation to the high elevation and, and in reverse. And so the fact that they've got this limited amount of fresh water available and now they're entering into the dry season, which they do get rain during this time of the year, but it's not, it pales in comparison to what you experience in, in the, the wet season. Uh, we'll be in the dry season for the next four months. Um, you know, the writing is kind of on the wall that, that there's not, we should not expect a significant amount of precipitation to occur to really allow us to get back to normal. And that's gonna continue to have impact on the export of, of soybeans and other dry bulk uh, vessels and you know we're they have to really restrict the number of transits per day through the Panama Canal and they're basing that restriction largely on who's who has the ability to pay the most and I understand that but those tend to be the large container vessels and the the liquid natural gas and uh, petroleum gas kind of vessels it's not actually the the dry bulk vessels. so it, it remains a real challenging and concern for us that's where I was going to go next here, Mike, is uh, there, there are these companies we were hearing on our tour today, they'll pay upwards of five hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars to get through the canal. I don't think soybean growers want to take on that cost right now to try to move their way up in line. It's just it, it can't happen that way. And they are limiting the number of, of uh, trips through the canal. Is it by half at this point? Yeah, you know, normally you would expect about 38 to 40 vessel transits per day through the Panama Canal. And right now they've they've instituted restrictions. So we're down to about 22 
now and that it can even get down to 18 when we when it comes to February and, and again it's it's kind of back to this understanding by the Panama Canal Authority that we're in the dry season they know typically how much precipitation they get during the course of the year so they need to conserve water now and and so that's why they're making these pronouncements you know even that far in advance with this reduction and yes um, agricultural vessels uh, they are not at the front of the line, unfortunately. You talk about, we need to know what options B, C, and D are. I've heard that instead of waiting the weeks that it could be to get through the Panama Canal, that some are just starting to go all the way down and around South America. Is, is that the next best option at this point? It's it's a long way and it's a lot of time. Yeah, you know, sometimes you know, you, you'll see um, movements across the Atlantic Ocean to go around the southern tip of Africa. We've seen uh, some activity through the Suez Canal, but you know one of the big problems that's generating a lot of attention recently is there are, you know, these Yemenis terrorists that are intercepting and attacking vessels of of all types after they've exited the Suez Canal heading south by the Arabian Peninsula, to the point where a lot of these ocean carriers are are saying we are going to suspend operations through the Suez Canal because it's not safe. So that means that's another potential link in our supply chain that's compromised right now. So whether it's ships going around the southern tip of Africa onto customers in Asia, you know, obviously we're very we're, we're, we benefit from the fact that we have a robust freight rail infrastructure that can get to the west coast and link up with our customers that way. That's will continue to be utilized. So, yeah, it's 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 a these there's a number of these things that are all kind of continuing to conspire to make our supply chain more more challenging. It's just one more cost, and you know we're we don't have the ability to just absorb significant supply chain costs and just oh we'll just pass that on to our customer because we operate in a very competitive environment, and if we try to pass those costs on to our customers. Customers will respond by saying, well, maybe it's a good day to buy more from Brazil. And, and so that, that is our reality. So a lot of those costs are ultimately absorbed by the farmer. The dilemma is caused by a scarcity of water. The solution will be an abundance of water. I'll have much more from Panama a bit later on in the show. Let me toss it now back to the U.S., where C.J. Miller can give us a rundown on the grain markets. C.J.? Thank you, Eric, as we appreciate all the outstanding reports you've given us from Panama this past week. Let's pivot now to the ag markets, and during the middle of trade on Friday afternoon, I spoke with market analyst Brian Basting with Advanced Trading. Brian, a little bit of a boost for soybean and wheat futures, but not much movement either way for corn futures Friday. Now we've got uncertainty about the weather trends, C.J., We've got uh, some people calling for a little bit more rainfall in Brazil uh, to, to begin 2024, uh, which has kept the market on edge. Corn is, is they had a little bit of a rebound on Thursday, but it just can't sustain momentum up to now. Uh, Looking at ample supplies of corn here. Um, export market is okay, but just not enough to re reignite the market. I think one thing I'll, I'll share with your listeners, CJ, is that January 12th, three weeks away, will be a series of reports that will be very important. So I'd encourage your listeners to be prepared prior to those reports because often the markets can move quite a bit. But back to the short-term markets, kind of light holiday trade. I think that we expect that to persist here uh, through the holiday. And Brian, looking back on 2023, what are some of the main takeaways from the grain markets this past year? 
I would just strongly encourage your listeners, CJ, to defend their balance sheet. Uh, markets are always full of surprises. 2023 was no different. Pleased to hear that, generally speaking, they had some tremendous yields there in Indiana. But each year has surprises. So some are bullish, some are bearish. Just encourage your listeners to use the marketing tools available to them to defend their balance sheet because we um, really want it to uh, take advantage uh, of these good yields, the good production we had in 2023. Prices for corn are much lower than they have been, but um, the markets are looking different than they have been the last couple of years, whereas the prices for beans are still very attractive historically. So um, markets are always uh, teaching us, uh, for lack of a better phrase, CJ, and I think 2023, uh, some more important lessons learned and just going with an open mind in 2024 to be a student of the markets and um, defend your balance sheet. Economist Brian Basting there from Advanced Trading. You can reach him at 309-664-2314. Settlements from Friday, March corn up just half a penny at 473. May corn also half a penny higher at 485 and three quarters. January soybeans gaining two and a half at 1299 and three quarters. March four and a half higher at 1306 and a quarter. And March wheat up three and three quarters to 616 and a quarter. February live cattle down 15 cents at 168.52 and February lean hogs climbing 62 cents at 71.35. More of Hoosier Ag this week is coming up. Andy Eubank reports from the Indiana Farm Bureau State Convention in Fort Wayne. I'm C.J. Miller from Hoosier Ag Today and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. Making agriculture your life's work comes with challenges that can leave you feeling alone. I'm Bruce Kettler, President and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. And when you're a member of ACI, you have agribusiness advocates in your corner, similar agribusiness members to network with, and opportunities for continued education. If your business serves Indiana agriculture, we need your perspective and hope you'll become a member of ACI. Visit inagribiz.org. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. We've got an interesting holiday weekend ahead of us. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend Weather Outlook. Here's what's going on as we embark on this uh, holiday weekend that extends through the Christmas holiday on Monday. I don't really have a lot of major changes, but let's kind of walk through the interesting features of the weekend. We had a little bit of moisture try and pop up yesterday, and we're still dealing with a little bit of a lingering tail with that this morning across central and eastern parts of Indiana, southern Indiana as well. So I won't rule out an additional few hundreds to a tenth or two this morning. Everything should be done by the time we get into midday, but clouds may be slow to break. So I'm looking at a fairly gray outlook for the balance of your Saturday. Christmas Eve should see a mix of clouds and sunshine. And the other thing that we should see is well above normal temperatures. I mean, we're talking quite mild for this time of year. Temperatures are good 20 degrees above where they should be. Meanwhile, off to the west, a significant storm complex is brewing. So it rains up and down the Great Plains all the way from northern Minnesota down to east Texas, and it's slowly marching eastward. I don't think it impacts us at all for Christmas Eve. 
I think we make it into Christmas morning with most of the state still seeing maybe a chance of some sunshine. But by midday on Christmas Day, we do see rains pushing into southwest Indiana and then through the rest of the afternoon that pushes northward. Overnight, it continues through the 26th, the day after Christmas. Combined, I'm looking for a quarter to one inch of rain with 100% coverage across the Hoosier State. But it's all rain. Well above normal temperatures still, the cold air locked up farther to our west. So through the 26th, again, looking at rain, cold air stays at bay. We go through sunset on Tuesday night, finally starting to see some of that colder air in here. Now, to be clear, we probably dry slot with that initial cold air surge, but then this upper level low takes its own sweet time ejecting out of the central and western Corn Belt. It takes from Tuesday afternoon through Thursday for this low to finally make it from the Iowa-Missouri line to east of Michigan. So with that slow-moving process, we're going to be seeing plenty of circulation around the low, moisture, clouds, and with the cold air, any moisture that comes in here, yep, it's got a chance of being wet snow showers. Now, I don't think the snow showers are huge. They're definitely not constant, but I do think it's something we have to pay attention to in that Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday, Thursday time frame. By Friday, we're starting to clear out here. Clouds giving way to sunshine late. And I think we're looking at a decent weekend, but a reinforcing shot of cold air coming across the Great Lakes keeps us below normal as we finish out the year. And maybe we have to watch for some lake effect snow Saturday the 30th and Sunday the 31st. I'm Ryan Martin. Be sure to check out the upcoming Big Iron online auction on Thursday, December 28th, featuring Coalites. There are plenty of well-maintained pieces of equipment up for bid at multiple locations in Indiana and Ohio, including a 2013 Case IH Patriot 4430 self-propelled sprayer, a 2012 John Deere 4940 self-propelled sprayer, a 2006 Terragator 8103 floater chemical applicator, and much more. No reserves and all items are lien-free, so register and place your bid today at BigIron.com. Welcome back. This is Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm Andy Eubank, and last Saturday wrapped up the Indiana Farm Bureau State Convention with a clear legislative focus now going into the new year. INFB President Randy Crone says they're energized to tackle issues in early January when the General Assembly convenes, and two of those rise to the top. Water's one of them that we've got on the front burner right now. Uh, the other one is a lot of proposals on tax reform. We've actually put a task force together for both of those, which is unusual to have two in one year like that, but they're both so important in long-term precedents what happens and the impact on agriculture could be tremendous. The LEAP project in Boone County, which wants to withdraw water from the Tippecanoe County area, has been a catalyst for water quantity discussions. We're going to start with the task force. We're bringing in some thought leaders and trying to sort out and understand the policy. The LEAP district is what kind of kicked this off, but we understand there's water shortages other places around the state. And if you start piping water, what's going to be the policy? What's the president? What happens if, you know, in 10 or 15 years, there's a shortage where they're doing it? What's the policy going to be? Who's the winners and who's the losers, really? So we want to make sure we get policy in place that I would hope there's never a water crisis in Indiana. But if there is, we're not setting a policy in the middle of the crisis. We've got the framework to decide up front. Crone shared with Hat he never dreamed years ago there would one day be water quantity concerns here in Indiana. We've talked the quality side quite a bit, but when you have somebody wanting to 
pump 100 million gallons a day from one watershed to another, it makes you kind of set up and say, okay, what's the policy around it and how are we going to deal with it? And that's what I've charged the task force to look at. And we've brought some outside experts and hydrogeologists in to help us understand this, for we know what we're dealing with. And I, a part of it, I think what's going to be key is monitoring when they're pulling this water out to make sure if we're not recharging aquifers, we need to make decisions early, not when we're at a point of a crisis. Indiana Farm Bureau will host the legislative forum to kick off the session in January. County leaders will have a chance to meet with Indiana House and Senate legislative leaders on January 9th at the Indiana Roof Ballroom. Crone was happy to tout membership growth last week at their convention. It has now increased eight years in a row. And last Saturday, it was a newly elected second vice president for Indiana Farm Bureau. She was proud to complete a trifecta as three women in a row now from District 4 have been elected to that state leadership post. Janice Hiley of Huntington won the INFB election, getting a majority on the third ballot. She follows Carolyn Hagel and outgoing Isabella Chisholm as Indiana Farm Bureau second vice president. Thank you to the leadership that's come before me, and I just embrace continuing to build on that. Hiley says her move to join state leadership stems from her overall passion for advocating for the ag industry. And I was currently serving on the Women's Leadership Committee and when the opportunity came up to take this next step in my leadership, I jumped at the chance because I, I just have a passion, as I said, for advocating for agriculture in Indiana Farm Bureau. Her involvement in agriculture goes beyond Farm Bureau. It includes being a director on the Indiana Corn Marketing Council board and her day job. I work full time as a risk advisor, working with farmers on cash sales and hedging and advising them. And we're going into a, you know, a little tougher year with our grain markets here. So just getting out there advocating at the county level, the state level, and even the national level. Highly told Hat there are plenty of local, state, and national issues that Indiana Farm Bureau needs to stay on top of to truly serve its members. You know, we're trying to get this farm bill across the finish line. We just always, we want to be on our toes and mindful of what our members need. Uh, we are a grassroots organization, so making sure that we're supporting them in what whatever way they need. INFB President Randy Crone says he looks forward to working with Janice Hiley. She has energy and passion, you know, just like Isabella served for 17 years, gave it her all to support agriculture, advocate for agriculture, and I'm sure Janice will do the same. Other candidates in the mix on Saturday, Margaret Gladden and Cindy Ramsey. Hiley replaces Isabella Chisholm as second vice president, and at the convention, Chisholm was recognized for her outstanding leadership by President Randy Crone with the 2023 President's Award. Congratulations, Isabella. A recent topic of conversation during Farm Bill discussions, expansion of child care in rural communities. Our Elise Koning has the story of an Indiana town that has seen the effects of a child care center closure and how building a new center has revitalized the community. Adam Alson farms near Rensselaer. He's seen firsthand the benefits of rural child care. There was one licensed child care center. We sent our child there and he had a wonderful experience. He made friends. He learned so much. He grew in, in ways that we didn't think possible. But when the center closed in 2018, the ripple effect hit Rensselaer hard. Some of us drove a half an hour to 45 minutes 
to the next nearest child care center. Some families, one of the two parents stopped working. In some cases, you know, I know there are families that left Rensselaer. You know, we all tried to figure out how we could get our kids what they needed and while still being able to do the things that families need to do. Allison joined forces with other members of the community for a solution. They created Apple Tree Rensselaer, a licensed child care center that opened in March. One challenge they needed to meet was the cost of child care. The cost to provide quality child care is akin to a college tuition payment per capita incomes in Rensselaer and in most rural communities are not high enough to pass that full cost on to families. Alson says that Apple Tree has succeeded in lowering that cost so that families can afford their services. It's allowed families to take new jobs, take remote jobs, to change jobs. It leads to at least a better individual household and it, it leads to more economic activity within the community. Alson says that child care is a part of attracting and retaining talent for the agriculture industry. It's one of those things that we hopefully as an ag community start thinking is essential infrastructure in the same way that we have about broadband access over the last five to ten years. This problem is one that plagues almost every rural community in Indiana. The problem is is trying to figure out how to how to solve it and how to fund it. As for Apple Tree Rensselaer, the center is close to full and there's now a wait list. Elise Coning on that report and more is at HoosierAgToday.com. And Who's Your Ag Today? Sabrina Halverson checks in now with a quick update on progress into farm labor and the H-2A guest worker program. Earlier this year, the House Agriculture Committee created the Bipartisan Agricultural Labor Working Group, with seven Democrats and seven Republicans working to identify and find solutions for the workforce issues faced by agricultural producers around the nation. California Congressman Doug LaMalfa is one of the Republicans in the work group. We're trying to find all the pieces you can agree on unanimously or agree on, say, by a supermajority, and then things that we would agree on with just a bare minimum that are still somewhat bipartisan, and see what elements of that can uh, be successful in a bill going forward. I'm Andy Eubank. This is Who's Your Ag This Week. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Staying informed of the markets, the weather, and world events has always been important to those of us in agriculture. Today, staying informed is critical. But now it's easier than ever. The Hoosier Ag Today mobile app puts up-to-the-minute information in the palm of your hand 24 hours a day. Download the free Hoosier Ag Today app for your mobile device at the Apple Store, Google Play, or at HoosierAgToday.com. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today, reporting on the latest news in Indiana and U.S. agriculture, and doing so internationally today. We're in Panama. We took a visit to the Panama Canal this week and did a number of other things. I'm here with the uh, Indiana Soybean Alliance and some of their farmer directors. And right now I want to welcome in Tom Griffiths. Tom is past president of ISA and is now on the United Soybean Board as one of their directors. And Tom, this has been uh, quite an interesting week, uh, a fun week, but also unbelievably educational. Talk about some of the things that we were up to this week. Obviously, the trip to the Panama Canal. Uh, you've you've been there before, but maybe just a different perspective this time around, given the drought conditions that we're facing right now. Well, thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, we came down here to the Panama Canal, and it's no secret in the Midwest and as well as Indiana, 
we've got issues from an agricultural standpoint. You know, the Mississippi River's low, Panama Canal's low. Even though we had normal to record yields, we've got low commodity prices, stagnant demand, and we've got an excess supply. So as we try to look at ways to move the pile, get rid of some of our supply, we have to find ways to do that. And what really made it unique coming down to Panama this week was the fact that we met with several different organizations, the soybean and corn funds in Indiana. Some of those being uh, the Poultry Export Council, Meat Export Federation, United States Grains, Soy Transportation Coalition, several, several others. And what we learned was there was each one of these groups finds finds the places where we're we're lacking and they fill those they fill those gaps with ways where we can get rid of our demand even though pork is still the major export into mexico we we've got issues there um poultry used to be one of the biggest ones in new mexico and those numbers are down to 2019 levels of our exports and that's because of inflation, high path avian influence, and we still haven't recovered from COVID. So not only do we need to build those back up to 2019 levels, we need to increase them to get rid of some of the ply we have there in the United States. And each one of these organizations takes a multi-pronged approach at doing what they need to do because we need to increase our herd and flock size numbers and get those numbers exported. But... So that sounds simple enough. We have issues with our transportation system right at the moment with the rivers and the Panama Canal being low. In February, they're talking about taking the Panama Canal down to 18 vessels, which would be one-third of what they normally transport through there. And commodity vessels would be last on the queue to go through because of the amount of money that they would be pay as compared to a cargo container. So these are all issues we're working out, and it was a collaborative event down here getting these organizations together and telling us just how they was going to increase the demand and keep the United States as one advantage to everybody, and that's a safe, efficient, fast mode of transportation to get those products out of our country. Again with Tom Griffiths, United Soybean Board Director with the Indiana Soybean Alliance as well. and. Tom, you mentioned to me earlier this week, going back, we've touched on the Panama Canal already on the program today. I want to touch on some of these partnerships you have with organizations like the U.S. Meat Export Federation, uh, like USAPEAK, the, the US, USA uh, Poultry and Egg Export Council. You, you mentioned to me earlier this week a very interesting statistic about uh, the, the poultry products in Indiana, and I want you to repeat that for our listeners because I don't know that they quite understand how big of a poultry state Indiana is and, and what types of opportunities are there that if we can sell more of that product, you can move a lot more of yours? Yeah, as I spoke to you earlier this week, as, as you travel throughout Indiana and as farmers are harvesting their crops, um, one of the statistics I gave you is if you're running a 30-foot grain head, over 20 foot of that goes to poultry. If you carry a 1,000 bushel on one of your semis, taking it to town or to the elevator, 610 bushel of that goes to poultry. That there's no secret that the majority of 
soybeans in Indiana goes to poultry. And that's, this is one of those opportunities for us to build these markets in Latin America to move some of our commodities through a value-added product like poultry. We're actually we're on the bus on our way back to the airport here from, uh, from Panama, head back to Miami, go to Indianapolis. I just want to say thank you. For me, this has been a unique once-in-a-lifetime experience coming here with you guys. Uh, I was welcomed in. You guys took me right in and, 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 and walked me through these, these, these things. It's been a very educational week for me, and, and I'm sure for the folks back home, too. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, the, the farmer directors in this group, these types of trips are the ones that you just value the most because it gives you the boots-on-the-ground look at some of the things that you're funding and, and directing with those checkoff funds. Yes. Uh, again, thanks, Eric. And uh, sorry for the way we treated you this week, but, but, but you know, you've been a lot of fun to hang around with. And um, the things we learn is very informative as far as what we need to convey back to the farmers and the producers in the, in the state of Indiana. That does it for this edition of Hoosier Ag This Week, coming to you from Panama, the Panama Canal. Thank you for joining us. We'll do it again next weekend. Same hat time, same hat channel. Merry Christmas to you and yours. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network. Oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas this year. Oh, oh, oh.